We serve such a good God. And God, a good God put us in a good family. You know, and, and, and a family is, uh, is a funny thing. Some of us are in families. Some of you are in families. You go, I, I kind of wish I wasn't in this family. Not this one. You love this one. But I mean, you don't get to pick your family. This one you did. But you didn't know what you signed up for, did you? I mean, sometimes we, we get born again. We, we say, I have a father in heaven. The moment you say, I have a father in heaven, you have a brother and you have a sisters. And you have all these people that God has put. And it's easy to love a perfect father. But how many of you know that God has not called us just to love a perfect father, but to love with the perfect love of the father in perfect brothers and sisters? Because we see them as Jesus sees them. And I want to, know, I want to tell you tonight or this morning that uh, the idea of loving as Jesus has called us to love, sometimes we write it off as, as sort of like Christian niceness. Do you know what I mean? Oh, we're talking about love again. Oh, I wish we'd get into some meat. And yet, in every book of the New Testament, this isn't a side issue. This is the core issue. And it's not, it's one of those things that you might say, it's the, one of the first things I realized is that God loves me. And I had a love for other people. When I got saved, I had a love for people. But it's one of the most enduring things that you're going to have to work on to master. Because it's not really about being nice or polite. Those are fine. You know, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we think kindness is just a worldly, just, just a something we do to get along. But kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. But I'm talking about this love that put Jesus, brought Him through to the cross and the resurrection. That's, that's an intense thing. That's, that's not a wimpy thing. That's not icing on the cake. And sometimes as Christians, when we talk about love, we talk about it like it's icing on the cake, don't we? Ah, something nice we should do. We should be loving. But, you know, sometimes we have, to, we have to learn. You know, we can't talk about love all the time. You know, we don't talk about love all the time. However, I want to tell you something the Apostle Paul said near the end of his life. He said, the only thing that matters is faith working by love. Now, this is the Apostle Paul who was beaten, imprisoned, died once, came back. And at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he says, if there's anything I want you to get out of my teaching." I want you to get this, faith working by love. You can't find somebody who's walking in genuine faith without it working by love. And you can't really find love, the divine love, without it working by faith. Sometimes in our, in our own North American mindset, we see everything as linear. We go, which came first, faith or love? Which, which does faith give, do, do I have to have faith to have love? Or do I have to have love to have faith? Or which comes first? And the things of God aren't often linear, are they? They don't move from this to this to this because God is outside of time. And so just like if you were to say, which comes first? You know, uh, you know is, was this Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Was Holy Spirit, Son, Father? They're, they're one. And so when we talk about faith, hope, and love, they work together in unity. There is there's a, a, um, this, this cohabitation. They, they flow together. They move together. They depend on one another. And so I want to bring you back to something we talked about two weeks ago and three weeks ago. We, we spoke of, of the idea and the word in the Bible of fervently. Uh, we talked about how Peter, if you weren't with us, Peter was imprisoned by Herod. And Herod had already put to death James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, a major apostle, one of the original apostles. James and John were apostles of John the Baptist. They came and they followed Jesus. They were there for the first miracles. They were there for the first teachings. And James was put to death because it pleased the people. The Christians had become an easy scapegoat. Herod found out, I killed James, it was popular, so now I'm going to move down the line. Who's next? Peter. And he pulls Peter out and he arrests him, and he's intending to wait until it gets uh, to be a, a feast day so he can bring him out in front of the most amount of people, and he's going to have him killed. But the Bible says Herod had imprisoned Peter and intended to bring him out and was keeping him in prison until that time, but the church was praying fervently. But... Now remember, that, 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 on that word, the whole sentence swings. The whole statement swings. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but there's momentum in life, isn't there? There's good momentum and there's bad momentum. You guys know that? 
There's times where things in society are moving steadily, steadily towards decline. Now, we act like society has been in decline since the day of Pentecost. It's getting worse and worse and worse. But I want to tell you, uh, we've gone through some cycles here. Because if you look at the ancient Roman Empire, it's worse than us in a lot of ways. You look at some of the things the Greeks believed. Some of these things that are still, still kind of on the fringe of our society were, were well accepted in their society. Things that were wicked and evil and perverse. And so a lot of times we think it just keeps getting worse and worse. But I want to tell you, actually, there's been plenty of times in history it got better. And I know this. I know nothing's going to completely become all renewed and revived until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom right on the earth. I know that. I know we're always going to have war and rumors of war. We're going to have, there's going to be disease and plagues and famine on the world. But I do know this, that the church is called to be the fullness of Jesus in this time. To, to carry the kingdom of God in this time. To live righteously, sensibly, godly in this present age. That God did not put you in this time by accident. You're supposed to be alive right now. There's a, there's a job to be done. And so when we talk about the momentum Because Herod's killed one guy. He's going to kill the next. He's going to move through the list of apostles and just keep going until it's not popular anymore. But the church, but the church, but the church was praying fervently. And if you're with us the last, those, those two weeks that we talked about it, the word fervently means extended. An extended intensity. It comes from the word, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a, it's a word that even looks like the word extend. It's, it means to be stretched out, to be extended. It's not just a short spurt of energy. Because I'll tell you what, the church has had its moments, right? And you've had your moments. You had your moments where you got pumped up. And everyone around you was pumped up. And, and you heard the right thing at the right time. And the right song was playing. And all those things. And we get intense for a little bit and then it goes away. You maybe live from meeting to meeting. You live from uh, 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 special service to special service. There's, there's these moments in your life, conference to conference, where, where your faith gets pumped up and you've had these roller coaster uh, experiences with God. But I want to tell you that God doesn't just want you to have these high highs and low lows. That He wants to, to, to put into you a consistency. And when I talk about consistency, I don't mean flat line. I don't mean straight across. But consistency in Christ is ever moving upward and inward into him. Constantly growing. Steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So this is fervent. So the word fervent means that, that, that it's extended. It's, it's, it's not just a, a short spurt. But fervent prayer means we pray and we keep praying and we pray and we, we don't cease praying and we don't give up when we get tired and we don't give up when we don't see the answer right away or when it's answered a little different than we thought. We keep praying. We press in because we're people of God. There's a fervency that God wants to stir up in his church. And, and I want to talk to you about a different type of fervency. We talked about fervent prayer. Now I want to bring you back to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, this word fervently pops up again. In fact, more than once. Because Peter is preparing the church. He's, he's, he's speaking to the church. And you know, I get so much out of these last few books in the New Testament because they're very, very practical. You know what I mean? I, I mean, all of them are so good. But sometimes what you need is someone to just speak straight to you, right? Yeah. Peter doesn't beat around the bush here. But he doesn't, doesn't, at the same time, he doesn't just resign himself to speaking so plainly that he's not going to open up the mystery of God to you. Some people think all I need is some practical wisdom. But I want to tell you, you need some impractical wisdom too. <laughs> like you need to know who God is. And you go, oh, this is boring theology. If you know who God is. You'll know what to do when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar throws you in the furnace. So sometimes we are so self-help driven, we want to give me something practical. Sometimes the most practical thing you to know, for you to know is who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, His greatness, His majesty, because that will build something on the inside of you. That will teach you things you don't even know about yourself. Because I can't tell you every situation you're going to encounter, Right? I can't tell you what's going to happen to you tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to get thrown at you next week. 
So when you're prepared in the spirit and you know who God is and you know who you are in Christ and you know what his promises are to you and you know what his commandment is towards you and you know his love towards you and his love through you, then even when you find something that nobody told you how to handle this, the spirit of God will lead you and guide you through it. And you'll know the shepherd's voice. Because the shepherd is going to take us places we haven't been. So you can't just spend all your time studying maps that other people have drawn out by their journey. That's helpful. But the shepherd might take you someplace that your friends haven't gone, that I haven't gone. You might go through some things in life that nobody's prepared you for, and all you got to do is you got to say, I know the voice of the shepherd, and he's leading me through the valley. He's leading me up the mountain. He's leading me to the pastures. I know his voice, so I'm going to keep following his voice. I'm going to keep following his word. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God because that's what the sons and daughters of God do. In 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter 1 is so cool because he's, he's talking about uh, what happened to us, how we got saved. Peter starts the letter by saying, I'm writing to those, uh, this is kind of unusual because he's not writing to those in Jerusalem or Rome. He's actually writing to the folks that are living on the edges of the empire. And I've said this to you before, but the reason that's significant is because those frontier zones, those areas on the edge of the empire, were some of the worst hit with persecution early on. And it's because those governors had something to prove. You know, if you were a governor out in, the, out in the Siberia over here, like, you know, you're way over there in Bithynia, or you're way over here, uh, you know, in Galatia or Cappadocia, you know, you're, you're put out in these places. You want to move up in the world. You want to get stationed further in. And so you want to impress your emperor. So when they, when they told people that, that you need to worship the emperor, these guys were the first ones to say, well, we're going to kill anybody that doesn't, or we're going to make it so that there's giant statues that we need to bow to because they wanted to prove their loyalty. So those Christians on those places were hit the hardest first. Peter writes a letter to them, and it's not, a, it's not a letter you should take lightly. And he talks about what God has done and how you got born again and how the word was preached to you. And in verse 13, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Guys, if you were, if you were training to, to go to war, you'd, you'd prepare your, your, your bodies for action, wouldn't you? If you were going to go uh, compete in the Olympics, you'd, you'd train. Now, he's saying prepare your minds for action. In fact, the literal Greek says gird up the loins of your minds. So in, 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 in their day and age, what you do was if you were going to run or you're going to fight, you had these, sometimes you had these, these long flowing outer garments. And what you do was you'd gird up, you'd, you'd cinch up the, the, the parts around your leg, you'd, you'd, you'd get your, your outer garment all cinched up and girded up so you'd be ready to run. And he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready for battle. Get ready for action. Then he says this, fix your hope completely. Completely. Fix your hope. How many of you have fixed your hope on something? Okay. Okay, so we got some work to do. I get it. People are like, I'm not sure what that means. Fixing our hope is different than having hope. You know, a lot of times what the hope that the world has taught us about is a hope that is completely um, circumstantial. You, you hear people say, you got my hopes up. Oh, I was hoping for this. Oh, man, my hopes were dashed. So your hopes are based on what people tell you or, or what you see or the trends you're, you're looking at in the world. So somebody can get your hopes up or down. But believers are different. Because the scripture actually says we need to fix our hope. In other words, be intentional about what you're hoping in. And, and uh, intentional about what I hope in also means intentional about what I'm not hoping in. Right? Paul says, warn the rich not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. So I don't care how much of a master you are in the crypto game. Don't put your hope in that. I don't care how much retirement savings you've saved up. Don't put your hope in that because those things fall away. And Peter's about to tell us how they're like the grass and they're like flowers. They go away. Fix your hope completely. Completely. That means that's all your hope is on this. 
Now, that's what doesn't make sense to anybody else who's not a believer, right? Well, you got to have some sort of backup plan. What if you're wrong? i got to fix my hope completely on Jesus. I fix my hope completely on, here's what he says, on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he tells you not to be conformed to the world. I'm going to skip down and uh, go to verse 22. And, and the part I skipped, you need to really go back and read because he talks about how you were saved. You need to con- conduct yourself with fear on this planet. And fear, he doesn't mean be scared. He means be reverent and don't take the blood of Jesus lightly. Don't take the blood of Jesus lightly. You need to take it so seriously. In fact, let me tell you one of the greatest things. When you take the blood of Jesus seriously, you can seriously believe you're forgiven. You can seriously believe you're righteous. Because I don't take the blood of Jesus lightly. Aren't you taking your, your past sin a little lightly? No, I'm taking the blood of Jesus seriously. I'm making much of the cross. And the cross is a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger. The blood of Jesus is, a, is louder than the blood of Abel, than my own guilt crying out against me. That's why 1 John says you can assure your own heart. Sometimes your own heart's going to tell you you're condemned. And then you tell your heart you're wrong because God is greater than you. He says God's greater than your heart, so God gets to tell you you're forgiven, even when you don't think you would have forgiven yourself. So you assure your heart. You're going to heart, you're wrong. God gets to be the judge, not you. Isn't that great? Take the blood of Jesus seriously. Then he says this in verse 22. Since you have obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Why? For a sincere love of the brethren. Now, the brethren is not just the boys. It's the brethren and the sistren. The brothers and sisters, the family of God. So something happened when, I, when the, my soul is being purified. When, God, when that blood of Jesus came into me, it did something. But also when I was obedient to the truth. Now listen, being obedient to the truth, how do we obey the gospel? The number one thing we do to obey the gospel is first to believe the gospel. That Jesus said, if you do the work of God, here's what happens when you do the work of God. And they said, well, what is the work of God? He said, here's the work of God that you believe. And you believe in the son that he sent. The first thing you got to do is believe. A lot of times we think, I'll obey first and then I'll believe. No, you got to believe because you can't obey without faith. Read Hebrews 11. It was a, it's a chapter full of obedience. Noah built the ark. Abraham believed God that he was going to have a kid. Uh, uh, Moses left Egypt and and went and and instead chose to be with the Israelites. All these people did these great things and they were obedient, but it says by faith they did this. You can't obey if it's not by faith. Otherwise, you're just trying to do it yourself. God doesn't command you to do anything that you can do by yourself. So in obedience to the truth... You've purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren. In the original Greek, that word sincere means, it literally says unhypocritical. Unhypocritical. And the word for hypocritical comes from the word for wax. Because in the, in the markets of the day, they sell pottery and all these different things. And, and, and sometimes those things would get cracks in them. Sometimes they weren't formed so well. And over time, in the, in, in the changing weather and, and humidity, there's a crack that forms. And so they would wax the crack. They put wax in the crack and they paint over it and then sell it to you. But you guys know that that's not a, that's not a quality product. And that's going to not last as long. It's not going to be as good. So a lot of times they'd hold that thing up to the sun and be able to see kind of the sun peeking through, and they go, ah, tried to rip me off. So the love he's talking about is a love without hypocrisy. It's not a facade. Now, if anybody could master the art of acting like we love people, it could be Christians, right? Because it's, it's coded into our, our, our belief system, our, our, our foundational truth that we love Jesus, we love God, and we love one another, right? We all know that. That's like the first thing you learn. So we know we're supposed to love each other. I'll tell you what's easier than loving one another, acting like you love one another. <laughs> as long as I don't have to deal with you after today. Sure, I love you. Hey, how are you doing, Tony? High five. Oh, man, just, right? I use Tony because no one could believe that about Tony. Tony's so lovable. 
right? We could live this, this facade. It wears thin after a while, doesn't it? And you go home and you just hope your phone doesn't ring. <laughs> and you wonder, what happened to the love I had when I first believed? Where I just felt such great love for people. Well, I'll tell you, nothing happened to that love. But the same faith that got you saved is the same faith you need to keep walking in it. And you can't take it for granted. He says, in obedience to the truth, you purified your souls for a real, sincere, unhypocritical love of the family of God. And that love, Jesus said, was going to be his brand on you. His trademark that you're mine. That's how the world will know, not only that you're mine, but that I'm real. That I'm the son of God. That I was sent by God. Is your love for one another. Probably not a light thing. Probably not a, well, this will just help the engine run a bit better. This will help the organization flow. Now, this is really, this is it. And he says, you purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Because you've done this, he says, fervently love one another from the heart fervently love. Remember what we said about fervently? It's extended. It's continuous. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, stop and start. It, it doesn't have these moments of, of, you know, like that teenage movie love where you just feel, oh, I love you amazingly one day and then I can't stand you the next. Because this is the love of God. And if God had loved you with Hollywood love, we'd all be dead right now. None of us would be saved. None of us would be here. Hollywood love says, I love you if you love me back. How do you make me feel? You make me feel like dancing. Gonna dance a night away. Right? You make me feel like, like a man. She feels like a woman. We feel like, oh, okay, let's forget uh, man and woman love. Let's talk about brotherly love. Let's talk about family love. I love my family because they're always there for me. Or I love, and, and we always have these, I love them because this is what they do. This is how they make me feel. Or this is, they, they love me back. But had Jesus loved you with that love, he never would have went to the cross. Because he loved you when you hated him. He loved you while you were rebelling against him. The king of kings and the lord of lords looked across the battle lines at his enemies and died for them. So, that's the kind of love we're called to. It's a powerful love. It's the most powerful force in the universe. You know, the Bible tells us that God has all these qualities, he's all these things, but when he says, this is who I am, in 1 John, John says, God is love. Not just God is loving, he is love. And I think that, you know, I've been saved most of my life. I've been in ministry, this, it'll be 17 years this year, in pastoring. And in those years... I thought at the beginning, I thought, I thought I understood the love of God, but it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of those things, and, and some of you who are elders in the faith know this, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Like, you feel like you just discovered that there's an ocean beneath the ocean. And I'm not a master at all, no, my goodness, I, I take off your black belt and put on a yellow belt or whatever the, I don't know the colors, orange something <laughs> you feel like all of a sudden I'm having to learn this again you know how you learn it you don't learn the love of God merely from reading books the, the you can be encouraged by reading a book you can be you can God can speak to you through that and build faith in you through that but the only way you're going to grow in the love of God is to put yourself on the battle line and fight is to love people when you don't want to love them. Is to love people when they hate you. Is to love people when they mistreat you. And the best thing that can happen to you is to be in a situation where Christ is fully formed in you because people are treating you like junk. You know, I said to some of our folks in Loon Lake, we, we, had, we were talking before the service, and, and there had been some things that happened politically that, were talk, that they were talking about, and, you know, it was some, we were like, oh, man, we were all saying, this really stinks, and we were, we were upset, and, I, and we just stopped, and I said, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to practice what we believe. This is a great opportunity for us to practice our faith. Wow, God has given us an opportunity to practice what we believe. 
Can Christ be fully formed in me? Can I learn not just by reading or understanding, but by walking it out, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, even when following Jesus leads you right up to Golgotha? He says here, fervently love one another from the heart, from the core, from the center of who you are. When the scripture talks about heart, sometimes heart means one thing, sometimes it means another thing. Often what it means is that very deepest place in you. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament, guard your heart, for out of it flow the wellsprings, the rivers, the fountains of life. Well, we talked about this before, but the difference between drinking from a spring and drinking from a hot tub, right? A hot tub is human soup that's just getting recycled. Sorry, did I ruin hot tubs for you? Right on, cool. You know that, right? You're sitting in there and the water's going around and it went to that guy before it got to you. And you just hope there's enough chlorine in the water to not burn you, but also to burn whatever needs to be burned. But you wouldn't dare drink it, even if it was chilled nicely and put on ice. But a spring, you'll drink from that. Because the spring is fresh. The spring came straight from the source. It's not even a well. It's a well spring. There's a difference. A well is a reservoir. See, that's how we love people in the world. We have, we, people love us. We store that up. People are nice to us. We store that up. People are kind. We store that up. And then when we need it, we draw from that well. But that well will go dry. And if you're a believer, you'll be given a lot more out than you're taking in sometimes. If you haven't learned how to take it in from him. Because the thing about being loved by God is that's the source of every bit of love you give out. So my wife loves me and I love her. But if someday, now this wouldn't happen, right? If someday my wife said, I don't love you, could I still love my wife? Right? Do I love my wife with my love or with God's love? Now, I have love for, I have my own love for, but God's love has poured into every other kind of love I have. So the love, I have a father's love towards my son. I have brotherly love towards my sister. But because of the love of God, all those loves are amplified and fed by the love of God. The love of a husband is amplified and fed by the love of God. And so, here's the thing. When others aren't giving you what you need, you draw from him. In fact, you don't wait till your well runs dry. You learn to draw from him. I've, I think I've shared this with you before, but I was a trumpet player um, uh, years ago, and, and, and I remember my, tr- my instructor telling me that, showing me videos of these trumpet players that would um, just be able to keep playing, and you're like, when are they breathing? And he said, I want you to try something. Take a glass of water and, and a straw and blow in the straw and breathe in through your nose while you're blowing through the straw. So, well, that's impossible, and I'm not going to be able to do that. He goes, that's what they're doing. They're outputting air while they're input, intaking air. Now, you can't constantly do that. You have, there's certain notes you can do that where you're kind of drawing in and putting out. But, I mean, that sounded crazy to me. But it's how we love. We're breathing in and taking in the love of God, and we're pouring it out to others. Now, this is why that love can be fervent. Because I've seen plenty. I mean, I grew up in the church. So I've seen love come and go. I've seen love fade and wax and wane. But this is the way that love stays fervent. You purify your soul for the, in obedience to the truth. You love people fervently from the heart. And out of that heart, out of your spirit is flowing wellsprings of life that come from God. That's why Proverbs says to guard it. But the problem with a lot of us is we heard guard your heart, and we thought that meant to close your heart. But if you close your heart, nothing can come out of it. You've done the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to guard it from closing up, right? If you, if you, put, a, if you put a soldier on a highway and say, guard this highway, there's going to be some people that are going to try to barricade it. They're going to try to shut it down. I need you to keep this, keep this place open. And this guy guards it and puts barricades up and says, I'm guarding it. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. You go, dude, that was your whole job was to keep it open. Your job was to keep the road open. Well, I closed it so no one could close it instead of me. Well, yeah, but now you just closed it. 
That's what we're doing when we close ourselves off and we go, oh, nobody can hurt me. I'm guarding my heart. I've been hurt too many times. You know, guarding my heart. And what you've done is you've closed your heart. And the very thing it was meant to give was that life from God. So he says, fervently love one another from the heart. This is an end times message to an end times church. A church in the midst of persecution. A church that's being afflicted. A church that's suffering. Love fervently. Keep loving fervently, intensely. Don't stop loving. You know, throughout the instructions in the scriptures about, and I've told you this before, but about last days and about end times, he often, often it pops up, keep loving. Jude says in the last days, mockers will arise. In the last days, false teaching will arise. But you, beloved, building yourself up with the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Why does he say keep yourself? Because it's everything around you is going to be trying to pull you out of the love of God. Right? Jesus said, here's the problem. In the last days, the greatest enemy is not uh, the, the army that's attacking it's not the government that's overreaching. It's not this or that. You know what the greatest problem in the last days is going to be? He's going to say, the love of many will grow cold. So they'll betray one another. They'll be offended at each other. The church doesn't have any enemies on the outside that can damage us. The only enemy that can damage us is on the inside. So if the church holds on to Jesus, it doesn't matter what they do to us. We won't change. So here, love one another fervently from the heart. Then he goes on and he says this. Uh, this is good. How can I do that, Peter? Pete, level with me. How can I fervently love? I have been trying, but it gets hard. It gets old. He says, for or because. Here's how you can do it. You've been born again. Not of seed, which is perishable but seed which is imperishable. That is through the living and what? Enduring word of God. Here's the greatest thing about the seed that's been sowed in you. There's nothing that can destroy. There's nothing that gets old with that. It is living. It's enduring. That's the seed you were born again. So he's talking about there's a living work inside of you. This is how you can love fervently. You've been born again. And the thing that got you born again is the seed of the word. And the word of God is not a word from 2,000 years ago. It's not a word of philosophy. It's not a word of history. It is the living and enduring word of God. He says it's imperishable. That means you can't corrupt it. Now, you can pervert it in your own understanding. You can misunderstand it. But the word itself cannot be corrupted. It doesn't, and it doesn't lose any power over time. Do you, you guys realize, like, we are reading something that somebody wrote 2,000 years ago, and it is speaking life to us today. Because it, Peter wrote this, but the Holy Spirit authored it. And the Holy Spirit was not writing this 2,000 years ago. He's writing it right now. Because the Holy Spirit's not confined to a timeline. So he's as much in 3,000 B.C. as he is right now in 2022. God is outside of time. He sees it all at once. And when he spoke it here, he meant it now. He said, because you got born again of a seed, not which a seed which is perishable. It doesn't rust. It doesn't corrode. It doesn't get old. It doesn't die. Are we, come on, guys. All of the forces of heaven, of, not of heaven, but of earth and of hell, got together to kill Jesus. And not all of them combined could drag Jesus out of the love of God or off his mission. So there's really nothing that can happen to you that can drag you out of the love of God. He says, you were born again. Remember this. Because that love doesn't come from you. It doesn't come, and I know we try to talk ourselves up and go, yeah, maybe I just need to think nice things about them. I need to remember what's nice about them. That's helpful, but you don't even need to do that. Because Jesus loved us when there was nothing nice about us. So if, if your way of stirring up love for someone is to remember the nice things, you're still missing the big thing that, that Jesus showed us, which you can love people that have nothing nice to love. I don't love you because you're lovable. I love you because God is love. And he put that love in me. That's powerful love. He says, that is to the living and enduring word of God. Now, what does the word do? It instructs, it commands, it corrects, but it brings faith, doesn't it? 
When you hear the word, faith comes. That's how you got saved. Somebody told you what Jesus did for you, how he died for your sin. As the Son of God, he came as the Son of God, became flesh, died for your sin, rose again on the third day, ascended to the Father, sent his Holy Spirit, and they said, he did that for you, and you can have that. And you heard that, and you believed it, and you acted on that belief, didn't you? How did you get to Jesus? Did you hike the highest mountain you could find? Did you donate all your savings to the first preacher you found on the internet? How did you come to Jesus? You believed what he said, and you confessed with your mouth, and you believed with your heart, and you confessed Jesus is Lord. And you didn't know what you were doing at the time. I mean, you, you thought you knew, but how much more do you know now than you knew then? When you said Jesus is Lord, you, you say, well, I know you're the boss of my life, and I'm going to follow you. You can tell me what to do, but you didn't even know what that entailed, right? Somehow you got saved by faith. When we pray for someone to be healed, are we talking them into being healed? Are we like, you really need to be healed. Can you stop being sick? Quit it. Quit being sick. What's your problem? Get your act together. No. We pray. And by faith, we believe, I can't heal you. God can heal you. And God's going to use me. See, God can heal you, but he instructed believers to lay hands on the sick. And believers to pray for believers, right? Pray for one another that you may be healed. Lay hands on the sick that they may recover. So uh, a supernatural act is taking place through natural people. And when natural people operate in faith, they, they're supernatural people. And so that's the same way we love. Why do we treat love like it's different than the miracle of healing? Why do we treat love like it's different than, than a gift of faith? Come on, guys. This is the same thing. you got to draw on what God's doing. You say, I can't love you with my love, but I can love you with God's love. You were born again. That's how I can love. You're born again. God's not looking for nice people. Now, the word of God will make you kind. The spirit of God will make you kind. But he, he didn't look, in, look around the world and find all the nice unbelievers and then get them saved because they were easy to convert. Because I've known nice people that weren't very loving. It's shocking, but you know nice people that just put on a nice face and then actually don't really have any great love for people. There's a difference. Love will make you kind. But this is a lot more than being polite. Here's what he says. You're born again through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass. All its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So you really can't hope. And you can't put your hope and you can't put your love. Remember, he starts out by talking about hope. You can't put your hope in flowers and grass. And, and you know what I'll tell you about the flowers and grass in, in the church? There's the grass and the flower of, of people agreeing with you about something. That falls away. That fades Maybe when you started going to church, you agreed with people politically or you agreed with people. Uh, um, you had a common interest and they invited a church and you, you got along. But that stuff changes. You grow up. You, you evolve. You, 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 you develop different interests. You, 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 you know, hey, people have families. Things change. And so some of the things that drew you together to start with might not be there anymore. So what in the world is causing me to want to lay my life down for these people? Because if all it is is that it's common interests. I talked to a pastor one time, and he said, on my leadership team, I just want to find people I want to hang out with and can hang out on my couch. He says, I'm done with people I don't like hanging out with. And I was like, I, I mean, I, what? <laughs> so you just want a bunch of clones of you that like the same football team you like. You can hang out on the weekends. First of all, you are seriously limiting the diversity of the body of Christ. You want a bunch of hands when we need multiple people. But secondly, you're not going to like the same things in 10 years. What are you building? What's the foundation we're building this on? It's got to be something bigger. And he says, don't fix your hope on flowers and grass. This is the word of God. That's how I can continue to walk in this faith. That's how I can continue to walk in this love. And I want to tell you, I want to read you something. In fact, don't, don't let me tell you. Let me show you. Let's go to, to 2 Timothy. 
You've been, you've been on a walk to 2 Timothy lately? See, I'm, I keep reading these letters that these guys wrote right before they died. You say really important things right before you die. Well, I think people like this do. Some people say stupid things. <laughs> Ouch, you're stepping, on my, you're stepping on my toe or, you know, whatever. Watch this. This will be fun. But Timothy and Peter, I mean, see, Paul and Peter, rather, wrote these letters towards the end when they knew they were about to die. In fact, both of them say it. The time for my departure is at hand. I'm about to go. So I need you to hear this. In 2 Timothy, Paul is reminding Timothy to stir up the gift of God within him, to not be intimidated, to not draw back. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, but realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Why is it going to get difficult? He says, here's why. Because for men, and he's not just talking about males, he's talking about people. People will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful, they'll be arrogant, they'll be revilers, they'll be disobedient to parents. And it tells us something about our culture that we look at that and go, what's that doing there? Right? <laughs> boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. We go, that doesn't, that seems pretty light. Seems like a misdemeanor in a list of other crimes. This shows us how much our, our society has kind of fallen away from the word. We're dishonorable. Right? According to this, disobedient to parents, because he really, how you honor your father and mother reflects how you honor God. How you honor authority reflects how you honor God. Now, if you can't honor authority, even flawed authority, you're going to have a problem honoring God when you disagree with God. He says disobedient to parents, and he says ungrateful, unholy, unloving. Irreconcilable, that literally means they, you won't take a truce. No, I'm going to get my way. I'm, not, I'm not, not making peace. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, maybe going to church, but denying its power, have denied its power. This is going to be the problem in the last days. Here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Is I don't think he's really talking about those people that are out and out unbelievers. Because they're not holding to a form of godliness. I don't know that he's talking about the people in the world who say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. I think he's talking about people that are playing the game but are not walking it out. Because I'm going to tell you, I, I know a lot of atheists and agnostics, and they're, you know, they're, they've got their own religion for sure. But they're not holding to a form of godliness. They don't believe in it. I think he's talking about people that should know better. And that's why it's going to get difficult, Timmy, is because people are going to begin to, to love things that don't deserve their love. Look at this. There are three things he says they don't love. They don't love God, they don't love people, and they, they don't love good. If you love God, you will love people and you will love what's good. Natural. John says this, don't, don't tell me you love God if you don't love people. Don't even tell me you know God if you don't love people. He says, everyone that loves is born of God. He says, he that, he that loves God knows God. And the one that does not love does not know God. So... When he's saying, and there are three things he tells us, you, you, you don't love God, you don't love people, and you don't love good. And there are three things he tells us they do love. They love self, they love money, and they love pleasure. When you love the wrong things, just like when you hope in the wrong things, you're not able to love the right things. John says this, don't love the world or the things in the world. Now, we're supposed to love the people in the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're supposed to love the, the world as in the people, but you don't love the system. You don't love the world or the things of the world. And he goes on to describe what they are. He says the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these shiny, nice things that everybody's chasing in the world, the new truck, the new house, the vacation. He says, don't love those things. 
Because it says, if you do, the love of the Father won't be in you. Here's the great danger. Not that God is jealous, although he is. But not that God is just like, oh, I wish I was the only thing you loved. But because if you do begin to love those things, you can't carry the love of the Father. Jesus told us that if ever anybody loves his life, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. He says, you've got to love me more than you love yourself, more than you love your family, more than you love anything else. You've got to love me first. And if you love me first, you'll have greater love for your family and your neighbors and your enemies. Right? But here's the deal. When I let myself love things that don't deserve love, I can't really love with the purity of the Father. This is, this is a challenge in our day and age. This is why life will get difficult. Because people will be drawn from true love. And they'll love the wrong things and they'll stop loving the right things. I've changed my own language. And I'm not trying to be the word police for you, okay? So (laughs) please don't go around correcting everybody who says this. But I've stopped saying I love things. I don't love coffee. I like coffee. I enjoy coffee. I can give it up if I need to. I, I don't love my house. I like it. I don't love Hawaii. I enjoy it. I love God. I love people. I love my wife. love my son. love my church. Love, love the people in the world. I even love my enemies. Love God. Love people. Those are the only things. And love good. Love those things. Don't love your snowmobile. You can like your snowmobile. But love will cause you to lay things down, even yourself down for something. Love causes sacrifice. So if you love your snowmobile, you'll sacrifice other things for your snowmobile time. Even church. Even family. Well, pastor, you don't understand. The powder last night. We got a snow. Oh, it's going to be gone tomorrow. Or you love money. So your job says we'll give you a promotion. You'll get paid like a third third more than what you're paying now. It's going to be a huge pay bump, but... You're, you're not going to be able to go to church anymore, or you're not going to see your family very often anymore. That's tough. And you tell yourself, well, I want to provide for my kids. When I'm gone, I want something for them. When you're gone, they'd much rather have had more time with you than an extra few bucks in their pocket. And I know that because my father's in heaven right now. And if my father could come back and say, I'll spend less time with you, Jonathan, but your house will be completely paid off, and you have a nice car, and you have all these things, I'd say, keep it. I want you. you got to love the right things. And loving the right things means I I can't give my love to everything. I can't love myself. The Bible says that we overcome the devil, the dragon, the deceiver, the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And most of us stop right there. But the, the verse doesn't stop. It says, and they loved not their lives, even unto death. You love your life. You'll sacrifice Jesus to keep it. You'll sacrifice people to keep it. Jesus said in the last days, they'll betray one another. What are they doing? They love their life more than they love their brother, so they turn the brother over to the court. They love their life more than they love Jesus, so they'll renounce Jesus in front of everybody so they can save their own neck. You'll never overcome that way. You understand why when we talk about love, you need to stop thinking love is some hippie concept that we just say so that the church gets along. The pastor needs to teach it so that people stop fighting. This is the core of everything. Paul said the goal of our instruction. So I told you before how he said the only thing that matters is faith working by love. There's another point. He says, don't get off on stupid things. The goal of our instruction is love. Like the reason we're teaching you is love from a sincere heart and a pure faith. (laughs) A pure heart and sincere faith, rather. Isn't that crazy? This is the point. And when you become more like Christ, and you can't become more like Christ without becoming conformed to his love, and you really can't be conformed to his love until someone starts trying to pluck your beard out. And you learn what love is. Huh? Jesus said even the Gentiles love people that love them. Even the Gentiles lend money when they know they'll get it back. Even the people that don't know God act like that. You should be different. 
And when you begin to say, all right, here's the thing. If you're hearing this right now and you're going, okay, well, I believe that's true, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. I'll tell you, in obedience to the faith, in obedience to the word, purify your souls for sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Walk by faith. If you know in your own heart there's some issues I have not worked out, there's some people I haven't forgiven, there's not love working in me. I get along with everybody, but I love very few. You can walk in and out of this church and not get in one fight. doesn't mean you love anybody. Right? How weird would it feel if somebody came up to you in Safeway and says, Hey there, how are you? My name's Mike. I love you. You're going, What? We don't love people at the grocery store. We get in, we get out. I'm nice. Make small talk with the cashier. If I bump into somebody in the middle of the aisle, I go, oops, sorry, my bad. No, 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 you go ahead. (laughs) But that's not love. But could I love them? Could God cause me to love this person right now? Could I be filled with the love of God for that person? I don't even know. Absolutely, because God knows them. God knows them. God loves them. God has plans for them. God has things he wants to do in their life. And when you walk around with the love of God, I'd like to tell you it's nice, but it's not always nice. <laughs> Walking around with the love of God is, 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 is anything but light. But it is the way we were designed to live. Friends, you were created for this, to be the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ. And one of the things I just want to point out before we close is that the Bible says we are, the, the church is the fullness of Christ. We're not really the fullness until we're together. You want to express the fullness of Christ, you need unity. And the Bible says that love, above all, he says, above all, beyond all these things, the Bible says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity that's found in Colossians. Above all these things, he tells you, do this, do this, lay this aside, put this on. But he says, above all else, we put on love because it is the perfect bond of unity or the unifying bond of perfection. If you want a church that's in perfect unity, because I've walked through imperfect unity. Do you know what imperfect unity looks like? We keep our mouths shut when we disagree. We do the job. We work together. We make it happen. That doesn't necessarily mean you're in unity. Right? I've said this before, but you walk in Walmart and you don't get in any fights with anybody, it doesn't mean you're in unity with them. It just means you're not fighting. How many times has a church that's not fighting said they're in unity? Oh, we're not fighting. I'm not mad at anybody. Yeah, but are you working together? Are you encouraging one another? Are you stimulating one another to love and good deeds? Are you depending on those people? No, I'm not depending on them. I depend on myself and Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, a big chunk of Jesus is his body. Right? Like, a big part of Jesus is his body. You can't say you depend on Christ if you're not letting yourself depend on other parts. I'll leave that for another time. We'll just let that marinate. But I want you to love one another fervently from the heart. Can you consider what that might mean? If you're sitting here going, I fully understand what that means, then you're way ahead of me. But if you can say, all right, I'm going to put that to prayer. Lord, show me how. Uh, see, the, the wonderful thing about preaching is you learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit. And you know that the Holy Spirit's better at teaching than I am. So I know as I've been preaching the word, some of you have had your antenna up. Antennae. And the Holy Spirit has been poking and prodding and speaking and correcting and inspiring and creating. So I don't have to sit up here and tell you every instance on how this might work because God's already talking to you. You start with that. You start with that. If you're wondering what happened to the love you had when you first believed, it didn't go anywhere. That love's still there. You need to take hold of it. Your soul might need to get a little cleaning where you go, my mind is so full of distraction. I spend too much time watching Netflix. I spend too much time loving my stuff instead of loving people. I spend too much of my time seeking how I can advance myself rather than advance the kingdom of God. And if that's what's happening, praise God, you've had a breakthrough. The Holy Spirit's talking.
And when God speaks, there's always the grace to do it. God's never told you one thing he was not going to empower you to do by his own spirit. Right? So if you heard God and you go, God's saying this and it sounds impossible. Good. Walk in faith. Love by faith. Look. I mean, I, I don't take this too far. Well, I take it as far as you need to. But <laughs> put yourself in a position to be hurt. No, I'm, I, I want you to understand my heart. I don't want you to get hurt. But if you never put yourself out there, if you never make yourself vulnerable enough so that somebody could hurt you, you're not really following Jesus. Jesus had to walk through crowds that were trying to throw him off a cliff. Jesus had to love people that, that I mean, he asked them, you gonna, and he had the whole crowd leave him. All these dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of people that were following him and loved him one day, and they all left him when he started talking a little too real for them. And then... They all leave, and he goes to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? Isn't it crazy that they never asked him, are you going to leave us? If anybody was going to leave anybody, you'd leave us. But they, they didn't. In fact, John says, those that were his own, he loved, and he loved them to the end. And love them to the end is not just a time thing. In fact, you could read it this way. He loved them to the nth, the final, the fullest degree of love. And I pray that that's what someone could write on my tombstone someday, should the Lord tarry. I, I pray that that's what they could say about you. He lo they loved to the end. Would you stand with me today? So I've, I've discovered something, that if I'm going to pray for somebody and I can't love them, I'm going to have a hard time for God to work through me. If I'm praying for someone to be healed and I'm not letting the love of God flow through me, I'm going to be warring in the flesh. But when you love people, and when Jesus looked at that young man and said, is it lawful for me to heal him? What if your son fell in the well? Would you get him out? He was showing them how, much, how he thought about this guy. This is not a stranger in the temple. This is my son. I love him like the father loves him. When you love people like that, the supernatural is unleashed in your life. When you love with the love of Christ, you'll, you'll do what Jesus did. And greater works than these will you do. What is the motivation of, of the miraculous? What is the motivation of somebody walking in the power of God? Is it to prove that you're powerful or is it coming from a different place? Why did Jesus heal people? Why did Jesus deliver people? Somebody will say, well, he did it to prove he was the Messiah. Well, he could have killed people too then. Why didn't he kill people? Why didn't he call down fire on people? Why didn't he move mountains just to show them he could? Why did every work that proved he was the Son of God also proved he loved people? Why did he say, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed by the devil, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It, it seems like God really cares about broken people. In fact, he loves them. I think some of the keys that are missing in our own walk with God we wonder why our prayers seem to lack oomph. We wonder why when we minister to people, it just seems like we're just trying to do it in the flesh. One of the keys, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I, Paul said the only thing that matters is faith working by love. Faith doesn't work without love. Paul said that. He said, if I have faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, it's nothing. If I gave all my money to the poor, I don't have love. It doesn't count. If I gave my own body to be burned, but I don't have love, it's zero. It doesn't even register. So when I'm ministering to you this morning, if I get up and say, it's my job as a pastor to preach, that's why I'm here on Sunday. So I'm going to preach the word of God in season and out of season because I, I'm going to. If I don't do it out of love for God first, and then love for you. There's no power in my preaching. There's, not, there's no life in it. 
You could even preach a seemingly powerful message that has, has great points, and you could do it with, with dynamics and, and communicate in a, well that, in a way that people would say, wow, that's a great message. He communicated it well, but it has no life. No dead people come back to life. No spirit is awakened. Then what's the point? Don't you see that everything we do must be done by love, in love? Because that's how we become like Christ. That's how we express Christ. So I want you to bow your heads today and let the Lord pour out his love on you. And Lord, I am asking you today, would you shower my brothers and sisters with your love? Lord, would we receive it? 